The angel space is a really fun space for investors because we have access to tons of new ideas and new products. Our goal is really just to expose as many students as possible to entrepreneurship and then get them out into the world and, and get them connected to that ecosystem. I thought about it and I was like, how can I make the largest positive impact? And I, I thought that I could do that by starting a nonprofit instead. So I pivoted and then created a nonprofit. What they wanted was to have somebody working with their student who their student looked up to or who their child looked up to. So they were really looking for a mentor. They weren't coming to me because of some academic achievement. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurism, small businesses, and the intellectual property that makes it happen. You have just heard some snippets from our show tonight, and the whole show was totally amazing. Stay tuned and listen to the rest of it. We had incredible people. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, Chief Marketing Officer at Gearhart Law, and I also have a startup of my own. Tonight, we have a repeat offender on the show. His name is Sandy Woolman, and he's going to be here talking about investing and also what makes a startup viable. After that, we're going to be talking with Haim Letwin, who is a, an associate professor at Suffolk University and heads up the entrepreneurial program there. So we're going to have lots of interesting insights and entrepreneurial secrets for you. And Haim has brought two of his amazing students with him. We are so excited to hear from them. We have Noah Trofimo, who is helping students with that ever-present anxiety and mental health issues. <laughs> Not just students, Not just all students. of us, right? No, that's, yeah. and, and then Greta Thurston, who's also helping with anxiety by helping people find tutors <laughs> that can help them through school. So yes, we're reducing the anxiety in the world. We're and I think to that's hear a from good. Them thing. But before we get to our distinguished panel, we have IP in the news. And today we're going to be talking about trademarks. Elizabeth, can you trademark the sound of a beer can opening? I know the answer to that. Honestly, yeah, we talked about yes, it before you can the show. trademark a lot of sounds. We did one show where we went through all these trademark sounds and had people try to guess what they were. But I know the answer to this one, according to the United States Patent and Trademark All right. Well, Office. I'll share it with my, I mean, it is kind of a matter of common sense. But the fact is, is that Anheuser-Busch actually tried to register a trademark for the sound of opening a can of beer. Obviously, the Trademark Office denied it, but there's a little bit of a funny story here. I want to tell you how they described the sound in the trademark application. It says the mark consists of a clicking sound followed by a period of silence, followed by a deeper clicking sound. Now that's pretty specific, don't you think? There's like a thousand reasons why the trademark office denied the mark. But what is also funny is that the trademark office examiner did a video and he lined up four beer cans along with a Coke can. And he did a video opening four different kinds of beers, and then the Coke can, of course. And he said, see, they all sound the same. So it's generic. You can't get the trademark. He made a video of this and put it in the record. The sad part about this story is that the trademark office would not pay for the alcoholic beverages he used in his demonstration. 
but they did pay for the non-alcoholic beverages. So uh, <laughs> there's some sort of policy out there floating around the trademark office that you can't be reimbursed for alcoholic beers. But the moral of the story is you can't trademark the sound of a beer can opening. It is possible to trademark sounds. They just have to be distinctive and specifically associated with your brand. That being said, it's time for the roundtable. Sandy, what are your thoughts about this whole story? I wonder how the Budweiser legal attorneys actually had the gall to try to pay <laughs> If it was outside counsel, I wonder how much they paid them. If it was inside counsel, maybe they need to rotate their counsel a little bit. But, uh, you know, listen, you guys are the experts in this area. But that seems pretty far out, man. I mean, that seems really crazy. I can just imagine, Sandy, it came from the marketing department. <laughs> <laughs> They've got nothing else to do. they got no other ways to market their products than to go for the sound of a beer can opening. How generic can you be? And then what are you going to do? You're going to sue all your customers that drink different brands of beer? Thank you. <laughs> so how, do you how do you enforce it? I know. It's ridiculous. How could you possibly enforce that? I mean, that would be the red letter day for the attorney to send out cease and desist letters, you know? I mean... Really? 300 million people. I'm going right? to get sued because I drink a beer? <laughs> really? <laughs> so anyway, it's hilarious. So, uh, Haim, what are your thoughts about this from an academic perspective? <laughs> <laughs> Purely from an academic perspective. You know, actually, you know, I, I'm curious because earlier on you said you did a show where you went through all these different sounds that were trademarked. Uh, you know, in your experience, what's the most interesting or unique or crazy sound that you guys have seen trademarked? That's an interesting question. And to be perfectly blunt, we haven't filed that many trademarks on sounds. We've filed a couple on perfume scents which you can also trademark, but sure. we haven't filed it on sounds. The NBC logo is probably the most famous. Ding, ding, ding. Like mm. ding, dum, ding, dum, dum, dum. Yeah. yeah, you have yep. to have a sense of pitch to be able to. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't possess. <laughs> but no, that's a good question. It's really kind of difficult to get a, a trademark on a sound. And a lot of companies don't pursue them. There aren't that many marks in that area. But for certain big institutions that have real strong brand association, it does make sense. Yeah, you could copyright music, right? That's a sound, but that's a copyright. It's not a trademark. Sandy's absolutely right. As a singer songwriter, he knows that he's copyrighted some music. That's the more traditional way to go though. Noah, what are your thoughts? I guess I think that's really interesting that they would attempt to do it. I mean, we're here talking about it now, so maybe they saw it as, if anything, we get some publicity out of it. But it, it makes me think about like trademark trolls as well, about these people that go out looking specifically about how they can get a trademark to abuse it or maybe do something that isn't necessarily furthering their business. Yeah, that's an important consideration. And I like the way you're thinking strategically there, because there are times to do things, not just for the purpose of, of actually getting the mark. I mean, maybe they had a bet or something in the legal department, who knows, but there's times when legal processes are used for public purposes too. That's a good point. Greta? I actually had two initial thoughts on this. My first one was when you were talking about how the trademark, if it was specific to the brand, maybe it could be trademarked. And maybe this is a segue for them to make a special beer can opening sound that then they can trademark. But then I also had a question on some of your past podcasts, you've talked about 
how trademarks are used on different mediums, right? Mm -hmm. What medium were they trademarking this for? Any medium where that sound is heard in a bar, at home, on a commercial, any of those places could be places where the trademark would be enforceable. So when you get a trademark, it's based on how it's used, not necessarily where it's used. Great Uh, thoughts, everybody. Yeah, great thoughts, everybody. Now I want to hear from Sandy. Why don't you introduce Sandy? Sandy is a staple in Westchester's angel investment landscape. Sandy has done so much. What's really cool about Sandy is that he had a corporate career and he made a lot of money, obviously, or (laughs) he wouldn't be doing investing, right? And he started Westchester Angels. He's the co-founder of that. And he's now helping entrepreneurs. So he went from corporate to entrepreneurism, just like you did. I'm following in his footsteps. And so he's here today to help the entrepreneurs on the show. And also any entrepreneurs that have questions for him about how to move a product forward, because it's really what he's helping people do is taking their ideas and inventions and getting them into the marketplace with this angel investing. So welcome, Sandy. Thank you very much for having me. And for the most kind words, Elizabeth, thank you very much. We're here with some student inventors, possibly considering entrepreneurism. What would you tell them? Well, the angel space is a really, it's a fun space for investors because we have access to tons of new ideas and new products. It's a helpful space. You know, angel investing comes right after a friends and family if you're raising money. And Uncle Fred gave, you know, his niece money because she loves him. He loves her, whatever. But uh, we're the next in line. And angel investing, we take on the most risk. On average, 60 or more percent of angel investments will fail across the country because we're early stage, sometimes pre-revenue. Most of the time where there's just a little bit of revenue coming up the right side of the hockey stick. So most all angel groups in the area compensate for that by doing extensive due diligence and adding as much value and help as we can. As you go up the ladder, if you're fortunate enough to execute and go up the ladder to the VCs and and over and above that, it loses the personal touch a lot of times. It's more business oriented. So if you're looking for angel funding, there are two platforms that uh, you have to apply to online. And this is the first step for all angel groups. You know, I lead an initiative that brings all the angel group leaders together from the Golden Seas, the 37 angels, and, you know, the Harvard Business Alumni of New York, intimately familiar with all of them. But we all have the basic same process. The first is to apply online on one of the two platforms that are most widely used. The first one is called GUST, G-U-S-T dot com. And the second most popular web uh, platform is called Proceder, P-R-O-S-E-E-D-E-R.com. So the first step is to apply online. You put your slide deck on, you put your financials, and it'll take you about an hour or more to apply online. And we advise startups to agonize over this application because it's got to stick out. Most angel groups get about 50 to 150 applications a month. Something has to stick out. A couple of red flags to avoid. Don't use a Gmail email address. You know, make sure your URL is the business that you're using. You know, Greta at xyzbusiness.com. A couple of other red flags. We like C-corps as compared to LLC, so we avoid the dreaded K-1s. 
your slide deck uh, has to be done really, really well. Angel investors don't read business plans. We read slide decks. We have a pitch guide that helps all startups with their slide deck. So once you start to apply online, you're going to be judged. If you get reached out for more information, you have to reply in a timely fashion. And your only objective, once you start the process, is to continue the conversation. That is really your only objective. So from GUST, you want to be tapped to be screened. All angel groups will pre-screen startups. So Westchester Angels, we pre-screen eight startups in order to select the three that will pitch to our investors. From there, should you make it through the screening and make it through to the investor meeting, your only objective now is to continue the conversation and get into due diligence. That's when we really kick your tires and go into depth about your background, your business plan. Uh, if you have revenue, we prefer to talk to clients because every startup thinks their platform or product is the best thing since sliced bread, and rightfully so. But market validation comes with revenue. That's how it happens. And then from there, should you make it through due diligence, then there's the dreaded document review. <laughs> and sometimes we see some stinking documents. And that's basically the process, uh, Elizabeth and Richard, of the angel investing process. So can people approach a number of different angel groups? Like, let's say they go to you and think they're hitting all the New York groups. Can they go to New Jersey, Florida, Colorado, all at the same time? So if you're going to raise, let's say, about a half a million dollars or a million dollars, we advise startups to raise enough money that'll last them at least a year or year and a half, unless there's a significant trick, you're like getting a big deal that'll increase your valuation. Because raising money from angels is not easy. There's a gestation period. It's gonna take you months to raise money. And if you're raising half a million or a million, you're gonna to have to apply to many different angel groups. Angel groups might typically invest anywhere from 50 to 150, which is our sweet spot. Some angel groups can put more money in, like some of the more prominent angel groups could put maybe a couple hundred in or more. But we sympathize with the time it takes for startups to raise money. We advise startups to catch up on their sleep when they exit, because if you're the founder and you have a very small team, Raising money from angels is going to take time away from you running your business. You really have to understand that it's not easy, but there's a lot of money out there for the startups that have a, a really good business plan and can solve a problem. So we sympathize with that. And we respect uh, startups at all times and add value at all times, whether we write a check out or not. We want to help startups succeed. Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt, our special guest. This evening is Sandy Woolman. We'll continue on with Passage to Profit after this commercial message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection 
innovation. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Also with us is Heim Letwin, who is a professor at Suffolk University and oversees their entrepreneurial program. Welcome to the show, Heim. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Tell me what's going on in the entrepreneurial program at Suffolk. Sure, absolutely. I'm involved with both the uh, entrepreneurship department as well as the entrepreneurship center. And our goal is really just to expose as many students as possible to entrepreneurship and then get them out into the world and, and get them connected to that ecosystem that we have up here in, in Boston. So, you know, obviously the main goal is to educate students in entrepreneurship and then to give them kind of an entrepreneurial mindset and some of the tools to be successful. But, you know, the big misconception that we really deal with upon entry for a lot of students is that entrepreneurship is only starting a business. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, starting a business is unbelievably entrepreneurial, and we have tons of students that do that, and we, we provide as much support to them as possible. We have two amazing entrepreneurial students with us today with Noah and Greta, but you know, you can also be very innovative and entrepreneurial within organizations also. So at Suffolk, our main focus is really on this idea of value right? How we see valuable opportunities that others may not see, then how we measure the value behind that, protect that value, and actually put that value into practice and, and value that other people might not see. And, you know, given that we're right in the heart of Boston and we have these uh, amazing ecosystem around us and phenomenal alumni, we really try to immerse our students into that ecosystem and get our alumni very involved with our students. So, you know, things that we do, we have lots of client focused classes, which are very experiential, where we bring in a, a organization, small businesses that have specific problems, and we try to deal with their specific problems or provide advice in real time. So try to work with them real time problems that are actually happening. At the same time, do a lot of internships in downtown. We, we, we actually, some of the cool things that we did, we launched a crowdfunding class a couple of years ago where students actually crowdfunded uh, their idea. You know, a, a bunch of the students raised 10 plus thousand dollars to kind of get to the next step to, to get into an incubator or accelerator in town. We also do things where we take graduate students to Las Vegas to run a small businesses CES conference experience and all those types of things to really just immerse our students into the ecosystem as much as possible. You know, I haven't heard in the past of universities getting so involved in entrepreneurship. Lots of times they have a center, they have some classes in entrepreneurship, but you're actually launching entrepreneurs out into the world. Is that correct? I mean, what percentage of your students actually have entrepreneurism as their first job? Yeah, that's a great question. We have 200 plus majors, and I think a, we're somewhere around 16% that actually launch upon graduation. A lot of students end up in small businesses working alongside entrepreneurs or in larger organizations in kind of more of an entrepreneurship type setting. And, you know, that's the whole point, right? The major prepares them to be able to see this value and work either launching something on their own or hand in hand with entrepreneurs. And at the same time, we have the center and really the center is this conduit 
between the school as a whole and the business community. So what we try to do there, the main goal is to get our students sitting next to learning from, you know, people, people like Sandy, you know, the, the really experienced, thoughtful people who understand different industries and have conversations with them. So, you know, give you some ideas of the stuff that we've done. FinTech Week in Boston, we host some events with them. We had this really interesting cannabis panel where we brought in the uh, director of the cannabis. Control. I, bet that, I bet, bet that was interesting. Yeah. You know, it, does anybody it, remember what happened in <laughs> the panel? It, it was a it was an amazing event, and and you know, um, we we brought in the 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 first and only director of the cannabis control commission up here in Massachusetts, and I think what I didn't realize was just how entrepreneurial of an industry this is. I mean, this is one of those industries that is just absolutely blowing up. And, you know, along with Suffolk's goal of really focusing on inclusion and diversity, the cannabis industry is all about inclusion and diversity. It's just a very unique industry that I I didn't know much about until we had this panel. I wanted to just make a comment. It's interesting that you say you're going beyond entrepreneurism, because one thing that we did with the show last year was we thought, you know, we want to expand to innovation. So innovation doesn't just happen for entrepreneurs. It happens for entrepreneurs. It happens for the type of people that you're talking about. And then the innovation can spur entrepreneurism, right? I think they kind of go hand in hand. So it's really interesting that you're kind of expanding this world out. Absolutely. You know, we think about it as multiple tracks. We have a launch track for students that would would launch, but we also have a corporate entrepreneurship for track for people who really expect to be within an organization thinking about innovation thinking about kind of driving those next ideas forward in a larger organization yeah and we're here with kenya kenya the media maven from iheart radio has just joined us who does that within iheart by the way she has been so innovative for us thank you kenya oh thank you for the opportunity to co-create with you I, i am enjoying this conversation and I'm just curious, how much do you think entrepreneurship is an innate trait and how much of it do you think is teachable? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I'd have to dig back into my PhD program, the research that I read in my PhD program to think about that a little bit more. But there were some really interesting twin studies where they looked at some of this stuff. And and I think it's, you know, like everything, it's a mixture of nurture and nature. And it's interesting. We work with some students who are clearly just so unbelievably entrepreneurial. But on the other hand, there are students who they know this is what they want to do, and they work really hard at learning the different tools and learning the mindsets. And so, again, I kind of think it's a little bit of both. You know, one thing I will say is there are definitely some students who just come in knowing they want to start this. And then typically from there, we pivot and we meander and we figure out kind of what that really looks like in the end. But they're pretty much so based on their core idea. And then there's other students who just kind of, look around and see all sorts of different ideas and slowly narrow down until they find what really fits for them. In all education, part of what we provide is that opportunity to get them out into the real world, to be talking to people, to be comfortable talking to people. That's great. And unfortunately, we have to stop here for a commercial. We have to stop talking. (laughs) 
But we'll be right back with more Passage to Profit after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T law.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're going to have our presentations coming up in just a minute, but before we do that, I'd like to ask Kenya, what is our Power Move segment for this evening? For Power Move today, we're going to talk about Kevin Hart. I don't know if you caught him on the recent Shark Tank, and he was one of their guest hosts And while he was on there, he had kind of given some new information about, well, not new information. I think he's been doing it for a while, but he highlighted his own Heartbeat Productions company that he started. So basically, you know, he's been an entertainer. He's been a comedian for quite a while now. And he's a full-on creator now with his own production studio. So he was talking about that on the show. And I thought that that was a nice power move and a nice level up from where he started. And it's always great to have the creative rights to anything that you're producing and the opportunity to have your own production company and have true ownership. So we're all about owning our own intellectual property and owning everything that we create. So I thought it was a good power move for today. Yeah, he is so funny that you wouldn't really think he would be that smart, but you have to be smart to be funny, right? I think he's very entrepreneurial. Right. We were having this conversation about, you know, just so he's being not entrepreneur- smart. <laughs> well, he's, well, he's smart. He's definitely smart. I think you have to be smart to be an entrepreneur. And he's also very funny. But I think to Elizabeth's point is sometimes when, you know, you think somebody is like all very entertainment focused and they have this gift to make people laugh like you don't you wouldn't necessarily think that there would be this underlying entrepreneurialism that's there. But I think that when you're a creator, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. And a lot of us creatives who tend to want to do things on the entertainment side also have that creative bug and the entrepreneurial spirit that kind of makes everything work cohesively for us. And I think he's one of those people. By the way, I'm totally down with your statement that people should own their IP. I have to applaud that direction for sure. So You should put that on a shirt. Own your own IP. Well, I can't because you own the rights to it. You came up with it. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to take a license, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so Elizabeth Fireside, yep, Fireside. So for those of you who don't know Fireside is a small business directory a video directory of small businesses and I am using cutting edge marketing techniques to interview small business owners and help them rise above the crowd in digital advertising and using their videos to help consumers hire the right person, not the person that reminds them of that yucky guy who sits in the next cubicle. There you go. So that's Fireside. How's it been going? It's good. I joined a business advisory group. It's a peer advisory group. We 
sit on a peer board. I think the people there have some great ideas for me and I'm able to give them some ideas to, you know, everybody's starting a podcast these days. So Richard and I have been doing this for over three years. So we kind of got a little bit of it under our yeah, belt. Yeah, almost so. four years. It'll be four years and wow. soon. Hard to believe. But- yeah, so it's a great place to exchange ideas. And I do have a lot of respect for the people in my group. Yeah, and I think that underscores an important point that it's always good to talk with other people, whether it's in, in a group, whether it's in a mentor situation, but getting input and feedback on what you're doing and how you're doing it is critical. So awesome yeah, I mean, that you found the, a group that you can connect with. Yeah, some of these guys are a little older and they have had incredible careers and they really understand business. And so, you know, to Sandy's point earlier, and maybe Heim too, I asked them, I said, do you really think this is something people want? Is this a good idea to pursue? Because Richard had an incredible idea when we were on vacation. I said, okay, I'm moving on to the next thing, right? But I did get validation from them. So that made me feel a lot better about spending any money on it. Well, that's good. And of course, any kind of feedback like that is always welcome. On to our presenters who have been waiting patiently. I love college students. You know, college was some of the best time of my life. And I am so happy that you guys are getting to do such exciting things. So it is my pleasure to introduce Noah Trofimo. And I think I know where the name for your company came from. But after you tell us what you're doing, I want you to explain the name. So his company is Paper bagmaskfoundation.org. And please tell us all about it, Noah. Hi. So first off, thank you so much for having me. This is such a cool experience. To tell you a little bit about the Paper Bag Mask Foundation, it's a 501c3 nonprofit helping young people with uh, stress and anxiety by building confidence in themselves and their ability to cope with stressors. Uh, So to do this, we offer holistic classes revolving around research-backed pillars for use as a supplement to traditional treatments or as a preventative measure. And so far we've hosted over 100 virtual and in-person classes, as well as coordinating several community service projects. And I'm personally passionate about this mission because I've had my own mental health struggles in the past and I've been anxious, I've been depressed and even suicidal. Um, And I know firsthand how important it is to have additional treatments on top of the existing mental health treatments. And, you know, there's a few problems of why I'm I'm also pushing this business is that first off, treatment isn't one size fits all. So unlike having a broken arm where there's a surefire way to treat it, mental health is a lot more different. So it can take months, even years to find a treatment plan that works because you're working with therapists, you're working with different medications and it's a very time consuming process. So my goal is to kind of offer classes while people are creating treatment plans. There's also anxiety and stress affect people from a variety of backgrounds and circumstances. So not everyone is able to participate in traditional treatments. Uh, There's also a stigma surrounding mental health. And lastly, I'm targeting young people specifically because teenage years through young adult years are, it's a transitional period. So you're leaving, moving out of your parents' house for the first time, you're going to school, you're starting relationships, you're kind of trying a lot of new things. And that can be a really exciting time, but it can also be really scary. Absolutely. I know when my daughter went off to college, they had two full-time psychiatrists for free for the students (laughs) on campus. And of course they couldn't see everybody. And maybe some people didn't want to go to them and didn't want to be seen walking in there. Like you said, the stigma. So I think this is wonderful what you're doing. So how'd you get the name? Was it the paper bag over the head? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's it. So the 
name symbolizes, well, first off, we all know someone that has a mental illness. There's one in five people have a mental illness. And the thing is, not all of us are open about having mental health issues. So myself included, when I was struggling, I never opened up because I didn't want to seem like a burden to my friends or my family. And I just didn't want to be treated differently. So I kept it in and I wore this fake mask and my fake smile, which it's pretty much putting a paper bag over my head and just putting a fake smile on it. That's really powerful. What are some of the topics that you cover in your classes? Sure. So the three pillars are uh, movement, creativity, and meditation. So we host different art classes, different exercise classes, uh, breath work, mindfulness, things like that. Is it mostly students at Suffolk or have you captured a wider audience? It's people all around the world and not specifically students, but Suffolk we've worked directly with. So we've hosted classes in person for Suffolk students, um, as well as virtually, um, specifically for Suffolk students. We've also worked with a couple other nonprofit organizations to put on stuff for their audience. And students is definitely our target area because I, I'd love to ideally be partnering with other schools like Suffolk and offering our resources directly to their students. Coach Hanya? Yeah, I mean, I, when you were speaking earlier and you were talking about your target being students, I was thinking about everything that's been going on statistically with COVID and a lot of younger people who are really having a really bad experience with this, you know, obviously the change in routine and, you know, kind of being cooped up and not really having that regular pattern of life. Um, how do you see this is fitting into an overall solution for even teenagers? Because I know a lot, I, I saw some uneasy statistical rates that the, the rate of suicide amongst teens is much higher as COVID has impacted us all. So I just was curious to see what your your strategy is in regards to that. My plan for that is pretty much this concept of active coping. So for me personally, when I was really struggling, something that I noticed was that I didn't feel like I was in control of my life. And as soon as I started picking up these habits, um, which are actually these three pillars that I emphasize, I started noticing I felt more in control and I felt like I was an active participant rather than taking my medication and not doing anything to be personally attached to my, my therapy. So uh, that aspect of just habit change in general is something that I find really important to teach people because we can give someone therapy and medication, but even when I was doing that, I didn't feel better. So it's something to supplement that. So you can do that and then also be going to an exercise class or an art class on top of that. So just honestly attacking it from a multi-pronged approach. Sandy? No, I have to congratulate you on, on taking the initiative to solve a problem. Thank you. you know, any person that starts a business from personal experience, it's business, but now this is personal. You know, we're no strangers. You said one in five have challenges. You know, my son, when he was a freshman, lost three friends in six months, two to drug overdose. Those kids were on my little league team, you know, so we understand that. And most people think that a 501c3, oh, it's a nonprofit. You know what? A 501c3 is just another type of a business model. It's running a business. You know, your source of funding would be different than if you were a C corp looking for angel investment, et cetera, et cetera. But it's even more highly scrutinized by the government because there's a lot of fraud out there. You know, I had a 501c3 before I started the Westchester Angels when my financial planets became aligned and we help small businesses and I self-funded it because I don't, I don't want to ask anybody for money. But running a 501c3 
You have to have board meetings. You have to take notes. It's a more complicated business, actually, than running a C-Corp. So I commend you for taking a personal experience and turning a, a really bad negative into a huge positive. I appreciate that a lot. The whole experience so far has been extremely rewarding. The monetary compensation, I work completely volunteer, but there's compensation in other ways that are, are so much more rewarding. Like just knowing that I'm directly helping people has been something that it, it motivates me to constantly they keep working on this. And you can think about all the people that you've supported and helped during this process and you're having a real impact. So hats off. And that's amazing. Yeah, and I do think you're taking a slightly different approach than other places that I've seen because you're using movement, you're using different things. And, and so you're associating the fact that like sometimes if someone's depressed or feeling really down, if you just get up and go run around the block, you're going to feel a lot better, right? Or you go do some moves from some yoga moves or something like just getting your body flowing helps a lot. So it seems like you've brought together your three pillars, which I'm not sure I've seen exactly that anywhere else. Yeah, that's it's pretty cool. As long as you don't like twist your ankle when you're running around the block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been the last few years, um, a lot of changing the business model and figuring out what works and figuring out what what people, what types of classes people want. And also just things like, like, like an exercise class is pretty simple to host virtually because you just need an instructor, people can use body weight, but things like the art classes were a little bit more difficult because people need supplies. So not everyone on a Zoom call will have the same supplies. So just figuring out things like that, like how we can get creative with supplies that everyone has or, or sending supplies beforehand. So just trying to figure out logistics over the last few years and ultimately getting to classes that we continue to do that have been easy to, to host virtually or in person. This is excellent. I applaud you. We're going to have to end this segment now, but you also have a clothing line. Is that right? Yeah. So the nonprofit actually started off as a clothing brand because I just wanted to spread awareness to that concept of the paper bag mask and wearing a fake smile and also donating a portion of proceeds to mental health charities. But over time, I thought about it and I was like, how can I make the largest positive impact? And I thought that I could do that by starting a nonprofit instead. So I pivoted and then created a nonprofit to spread the same message. Excellent. So People can find you at paperbagmaskfoundation.org. Yep. And there's a store there where they can buy your clothing, right? Yep. Excellent. So hopefully you'll get a lot of people going online and see what you're doing after this. Awesome. So Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to have to go to a break. So listeners, you are listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's Inventress founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, eVine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. 
Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guest, Sandy Waldman from Westchester Angels. We have had a fabulous show so far. We're not done yet. But if you miss the beginning, it comes out on our podcast tomorrow on all the major podcast channels. And our podcast is doing really, really well, by the way. So, yeah, so uh, please download it like crazy so the numbers will keep increasing. <laughs> okay, shameless plug for the show, but let's continue. Now we are to our second student presenter. I am so excited about this. Greta Thurston with Study Buddies Tutors. And this is not just another tutoring site. She goes way beyond that. So I am so excited to hear what you're doing, Greta. Welcome. Thank you so much. This has been awesome so far. But yeah, I started Study Buddies Tutors in the fall of 2020. So I was home over COVID back in Colorado. And what Study Buddies is, is it's an online tutoring and academic mentoring company where we pair up middle and high school students with current college students. And the idea behind that is that there's much more of a cohesive relationship there. You're closer in age, college students, especially with online learning, we're experiencing a lot of the struggles that high school students are experiencing as well with now having to do all of our classes online, homework, time management, and things like that. And it just creates a much more accountable and like I said, cohesive relationship between the students where high school and middle school students have this mentor that they can look up to in the college tutor and mentor that they have with study buddies. And how the idea came about was I'm very involved in a youth organization called 4-H. Don't know if you've heard about it, but it's the largest youth organization in the world and it's very focused on youth development. So I grew up in 4-H and then after I aged out, I started volunteering for the organization. And I was working with a lot of middle school and high school students and their parents were coming up to me after I was doing horseback riding lessons or teaching at conferences and asking if I could tutor their student in the next academic year, because what they wanted was to have somebody working with their student who their student looked up to or who their child looked up to. So they were really looking for a mentor. They weren't coming to me because of some crazy academic achievement that I have achieved, but because I was working with their child and their child really enjoyed working with me, looked up to me, felt comfortable working with me. And I had quite a few parents ask me about this. And so that got me thinking that this was a need that a lot of parents were looking for. And there's only one of me, but I could start something that would be able to bring this to a lot more middle and high school students, and then also create fulfilling and flexible employment for college students. I think Thank it's you. wonderful. So do you think that these students that are getting this tutoring would have stayed in school anyway? Or do you think that your college students are helping these kids stay in school? I think it's a little bit of both. We've definitely worked with some very high achieving students. And it's great because we can pair them up with like-minded college students. So recently we had a high school girl who is really interested in STEM and engineering, which is a, a field that there's not a lot of female students in. And so one of our tutors, one of our study buddies, she is also currently enrolled in one of the top engineering schools in the country. And so we paired them up together and it was a great match because now this high school student gets to see somebody exactly where she wants to be in a year, two years from now and gets to work and learn from that. On the flip side, working with college students could also help students that are maybe less high achieving and are actually struggling to, you know, keep up with their homework, do their time management, maybe they're struggling with online, and they can see this college student who also going through similar things, working online, figuring out how to manage their time when it's completely their own, they're at home, things like that. 
and can actually inspire them to go to school and go to college. That's really great. Kenya? This is phenomenal because I have a 16-year-old who is actually interested in STEM and engineering, and we're looking at schools now. And, you know, kind of we don't really have a great idea of, like, where she wants to go, but, you know, kind of learning what's out there opportunity-wise. I guess my other question for you would be, in terms of where you'd like to see this scale to, are you looking to, how many universities are you looking to have under your belt? Like, how much representation from all the student mentors are you looking to scale to eventually? That's a great question. And with it being online right now, the possibilities are essentially endless. It started out very broad, actually. As I mentioned, I'm from Colorado. So it started in Colorado in the community that I grew up in. I was working with people that I knew, working with the school district that I knew. And then being in college, I have a very large network of college students that I can bring on as my initial mentors. And that was great, but then I moved full-time to Massachusetts, so now I'm a Massachusetts resident, and I've been almost starting over a little bit here because there's a different product market fit, a different pricing structure, things like that, because the needs are different in Massachusetts than they are in Colorado. And so to answer your question about scalability, right now we actually took a very broad model to start with, and we're starting in just a single community here in Massachusetts to really dial in and focus what we need. So I reached out to one person in one town after a lot of market research in Quincy, Massachusetts, and we've been working with the Chamber of Commerce there, the school board, also working with a mentor there. So the goal now is to shrink it, make it really fit, work out all the kinks, see what parents and students really need, and then grow from there. So the idea would be to get as many universities and reach as many students across the country as we can. I have a question. Do you foresee that you're going to pursue this then after you graduate? Yes, definitely. That is the goal. Excellent. Sandy, do you have a comment or question? Yeah, Greta, you know, again, just like Noah, you've created a business from personal experience, and that's always terrific. So if I may wear my angel hat for a moment, Uh, Are you looking to scale your business to sell it? No, I haven't really considered that as an option. With tutoring, it's a very big industry. There's lots of tutoring companies in the industry. I've talked about this with Hyam before, but the idea itself, it's repeatable. Somebody could take it and do it on their own. So I think that the value that we bring is making sure that the mentors are really strong mentors, making sure that the study buddy's name means strong mentorship and these college students creating these inspirational relationships with middle and high school students. So, you know, the only way angel investors make money is if we invest in a company and they scale it for an exit. That's We make money on the exit. So if you're looking for funding, angels would not be the best place to go. But as Chaim mentioned, you know, there's a lot of different places to raise money. Crowdfunding would be a really good opportunity for you to raise money. But you have a very fluid business because your mentors are going to grow up and you're going to constantly have to replace your mentors. So it's going to be a lot of elbow work in your business because it's going to be a very fluid business. Yes, definitely. Uh, it, It has only been around for a couple of years, so we haven't experienced a lot of turnover, but creating the model the way we did, I knew going into it that there will be a lot of turnover and creating relationships with universities and finding those really solid college students is going to be very important. That's the key. You mentioned it right there is to make sure you screen your mentors properly to make sure they have the proper mindset and the expertise in the area. Uh, that they are going to be mentoring, you know, and this is going to separate you from the Khan Academies of the world. It's a personal relationship 
that you're going to create with the mentor and the student. And that personal relationship will get you referrals as well. I'm one other comment I think is really interesting, and this goes to show how I continue to learn as I'm a professor. You know, when, when I first heard this idea from Greta, I must admit, you know, I'm always open to any idea, but my first initial reaction internally was, well, would I really want a college student when I could have somebody else maybe who's a professor. And as I spent some time with the high school organizations that I work with, I learned very quickly that this peer mentoring is just so much more powerful and so important as part of the process. So, you know, as we went through it, I, I you know, it goes to show how much you learn working with the students on these businesses. That's really great. We're going to take a commercial break and we'll be back with more Passage to Profit right after this. But before we go, Greta, can you tell us how people can get in touch with you? Absolutely. So the best way is to go to the website, which is studybuddiestutors.com. And all of the information you need, how to find a tutor, all of our tutors are also listed on there. Sounds great. So we'll be back after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R. H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. What an amazing show this has been. I mean, I have learned so much. Well, Sandy's always great to have on the show. And I met Jaime actually through a mutual friend and thought he would be awesome as he has been. And his Absolutely. students as well. So I really enjoyed our show today. And of course, Kenya is here. If you're just tuning in, our podcast comes out tomorrow and you'll see us on YouTube. So our guest was Sandy Woolman, co-founder and managing director of Westchester Angels, an angel investment group that helps people that are starting their businesses and getting them going, take them the next step further. And he's a singer and a songwriter too. He's bashful about that. But oh, we should have had him sing on the show next, next time. time. <laughs> no, I, I don't want anybody to leave. I could clear a crowded room in a matter of minutes if I sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is not the proper rock star <laughs> attitude. You got to live the role, man. So you can find him at westchesterangels.com. He's also on LinkedIn, Sandy Woolman, W O. L-L-M-A-N and Sandy, like Sandy Beach. <laughs> so, easy you. to spell. <laughs> and then we had Heim Letwin, who is a director of entrepreneurship, associate professor of management and entrepreneurship at Suffolk University in Massachusetts. Obviously a very bright and inspiring teacher. I wish I had somebody like Heim mentoring me when I was in college. I know, I know. I was so impressed when I met him. You can find him at the Suffolk, S-U-F-F-O-L-K dot E-D-U website. So you go to the faculty and it's C-H-A-I-M-L-E-T-W-I-N. Heim Letwin. If you want to find out more about him and the wonderful work that he's doing. And then we had two of Heim's students, Noah Trofimo, who had paperbagmaskfoundation.org. 
helping young adults his age navigate the challenges of today's world in a very creative way. I really like his three pillars. Yeah, and I will never look at paper bags the same way again. Every time I go into the grocery store, I'm going to be thinking of Noah and my anxiety. So I'm going to get you one to put over your head. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, oh, right in the heart. And then we had Greta Thurston with study buddies tutors just like it sounds study buddies b-u-d-d-i-e-s tutors.com which sounds like a tutoring program but is way beyond that it's more of a mentorship program and it's just amazing it's got it's like a white glove type of program she's very discerning in who she matches up to work together and in vetting the people the college students that she uses for this such a great idea and i bet they really do become buddies so aptly named and we had kenya gibson with us we love our coach kenya Kenya Gibson with a P, Kenya Gibson at iHeartMedia.com. One of the most creative people I have ever met in my life. She did the logo for Passage to Profit. She came up with the idea for the show. She's helped us with other things. If you have marketing needs, digital marketing needs, you want to get an ad on iHeart or you want to talk to her about any appearances or anything, Kenya's the person to help you. And how do people find you, Kenya? Oh, they can reach me via email. It's Kenya Gibson with a P, G-I-P-S-O-N at iHeartMedia.com. Awesome. We're getting to the end of the show, but before we do, I'd like a few words of wisdom from our guest this evening, Sandy. It's really terrific to meet two outstanding young entrepreneurs. When you're a student, you know, there's two things that shine out. One is the passion and one is the education that you've received in order to relay your message properly. So kudos to Chaim for, for running a really good program because the quality of the entrepreneur is directly related to the quality of the teaching. And I wish both Greta and Noah the very best of luck in their startups. Thank you so much, Sandy. Kenya? Yeah, so I'll just say one of the things I love about this show is that people come here to learn, right? They come here to learn, they come here to laugh and to be entertained. And I love when we have such creative people that come on here and contribute their experience and their expertise. So Sandy, I just want to thank you for Returning back, you always have great things to contribute to the show and into the platform. So we always appreciate your insight. And I just, you know, want to applaud, you know, Haim for what you're doing with these, you know, awesome students and how you're really helping them develop that entrepreneurial mindset. Obviously, we see the fruit of your program here today. We heard wonderful uh, presentations from both Noah and both Greta. So I wish you both all the best with your businesses. And I thank you for just coming on to Passage to Profit and helping us learn a little bit more today. So thank you. That's about it for us. Stay tuned for next week's episode of Passage to Profit. And thank you for listening. Keep those cards and letters coming in. But before we go, a special thanks to our producer, Noah Fleischman, our program coordinator, Alicia Morrissey, video editor, Chatterboss, and the whole iHeart team. Passage to Profit on iHeartRadio, WOR 710, the voice of New York. <laughs>